anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. All right, let's let it rip. What's going on? Welcome back, everybody, to a brand new episode of your favorite ANCAP Libertarian podcast. Even cracking Justin's top 12, maybe at the top of the pack for for uh, shows that he works on, Peddling Fiction. I, of course, am your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, and back with me as usual, the guy who I was just commenting earlier looked a little more dejected than these poor Russian captured soldiers I've been seeing all over the internet. Having some computer problems in the middle of a move. He's got a Brady Bunch family, a bunch of chickens, no new goats yet, right? No goat. So <laughs> other than that. I mean, any day now, I, I keep thinking like any day she is the, I mean, it, it's time. I, I don't know what she's waiting on. Yeah. So, but other than that, how's, uh, how's everything going? Did you have a nice weekend? You know, the weekend wasn't bad. We, my parents came up, we moved a bunch of stuff. We kind of worked on getting stuff settled in here at the new house. It was, it was a not terrible weekend considering all we did was move all weekend. Uh, the weather wasn't great for it, but I mean, at least it did, <clears throat> didn't rain. So we got the goats up here. That was, uh, that was a lot of fun. Let me let me tell you, goats just really like being loaded up in a dog crate, put in your truck, and then driven thirty miles. Uh, chickens actually were were a lot less pleased about the situation, and uh, and it was too cold to put them in the bed of the truck, so I had them in the back seat of the truck. So that was a lot of fun. I'm having a hell of a week. <laughs> yeah. Well. But then that explains the uh, the need for libations here. It is oh, the yes. afternoon, but we're almost we're about wrapped up with our the rest of our work. And uh, Justin looked like he needed a drink, so I can't let him drink alone. I've got a lovely mug full of whiskey. A couple days before our Friday night happy hour, which will be this Friday. And again, for those of you uh, new listeners to the show that are not involved in that, all you got to do is become a recurring donating member to the show by going to peddlingfictionpodcast.com. Any recurring uh, denomination uh, donation to the show that you want to do could be as little as a dollar, a dollar a month, a dollar a year, I think would probably even get you in there. (laughs) Shows you what my time's worth. But yeah, that helps keep the lights on around here. And we get together every other Friday for as long as we can go. You know, is it, I actually probably have to restock before this one because we've been going pretty late the last couple of times and it is a lot of fun, but we're getting getting a little jump start on that here this afternoon because I think we're both just happy we're not in Ukraine right now. 
<laughs> I had uh, I had a really nice weekend, actually. As I mentioned, I think on the last episode, uh, Johnny the Jew came into town. I met him in our where we had our little event this past year that I need to probably start planning the next one for this year. Sayulita. It was the first time I'd actually been back there since December, I think. So I uh, had, you know, we did what we you do in Sayulita. Stay up way too late, drink way too much. And uh, did a little surfing, got a little sun, if you can't tell. And then we came back here. I showed him around PV. And he took off yesterday. I think he had a good time. It's great to see him. He did a lot of a lot of talk about the the Ukraine situation, libertarianism in general. He's he's actually come. He's he might be coming around. So it was good to it was good to see how interested he was in sort of our point of view on things, our take on everything. And, and you know, I, I think I was trying to think earlier. Were there any really prominent voices in this movement uh, from our point of view that got? the whole Ukraine thing right from the get-go because it seems it might be like a blind spot that we have here that we're like maybe even too distrusting I don't know if you can be too distrusting of the media but it seemed like everybody was like oh this is they're, they're blowing this way out of proportion this is never going to happen and then turns out this is like a, actually a full-scale invasion with bombs and everything and um, they're still moving they're still moving in on Kiev. It's I, I'm surprised that Ukraine has put up as much of a resistance as they have, which does go to show you that we have been right on a few things. Um, they, they passed out a bunch of military assault weapons to the population there, which is kind of an interesting angle here because all of these people that are changing their profile pictures and wearing their colors to Ukraine colors to the state of the union address that we'll get into later. None of those people are proponents of having military style weapons in the hands of civilians. And what was the first thing Ukraine did when it, they realized that Putin was invading was pass out a bunch of guns to people. And it's, it's pretty impressive the, the stand that they've been able to make so far. Yeah, and I think to to your point that like I don't know that anybody in our circle got it right either. I mean, I definitely didn't. Um, a, a lot of people didn't, and not that a lot of people were like way off on why they wouldn't have believed it would get to the point that it has. As much as everybody just kind of looked at what Putin had kind of said and his behavior of the past, and it's like, okay, this is what he's probably going to do and then he just kept going and, and like there was nothing that i mean i guess you could say he's a crazed madman but he hasn't behaved as one like ever it uh, that wasn't something that to me you know looking at it that didn't seem like something that was plausible like i didn't think he was gonna just keep going like he has and and i don't think the russian military has the I don't think the Russian military has the strength or the financial ability to wage an all-out war like that, uh, especially now that they've gotten pushback. Like it, it seems like a lot of dominoes didn't fall the way you would have expected them to with this whole conflict. And so now it's almost like both sides are just doubling down. Uh, and which I guess that 
that kind of makes sense. That's the way political leaders tend to be. If if they try something and it doesn't work, then keep doing it until until it works in your favor or something else happens. Uh, yeah, and, and yeah, that's, it is kind of interesting. Right, and actually, one of the the points that uh, Johnny the Jew was was making that he he claimed he didn't like he wasn't seeing a lot anywhere was that you know. They're they're just gonna keep Putin's just gonna keep escalating things. Like he can carpet he can keep carpet bombing them and he can just level cities. They can go on and doing that a lot longer than you Ukraine can stand out. But he's just like, maybe the Ukrainians should just give up. <laughs> and and like what are exactly are they fighting for? Like what in their like day-to-day lives, what would change for a Ukrainian if if Russia had control over them, if they became part of Russia again. And see that I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure that because they're, they have petitioned to join NATO. And I think over the weekend, they, they made the petition to join NATO, but they're not currently a NATO country. They're not currently a member of the European union. Um, yeah. Like what, what's the negative of, just becoming a Ukrainian province again, or a, uh, a Russian province again. Like, I, I don't know. Uh, um, I guess at this point they are, it's more of a fighting for their independence and attempting to get NATO and the European Union and the rest of the West to, to kind of come to their aid. Cause yeah. I mean, I don't think, I don't think Ukraine is a particularly rich or well-off country. Like they're not, uh, without without that assistance, they're probably not going to stand on their own particularly well. So, uh, like, I, I'm I'm not really sure. I yeah, it, well, it becomes like this sort of like machismo thing. We would say down here from both perspectives, right? It's like well, Putin's struggling to take Kiev. You know, it ended up being a much bigger endeavor than I think he realized. And so he's not going to, you know, he's not going to tuck tail and run from Ukraine. That would make him look like a little bitch. But from their perspective, you know, it, it, it goes to this whole like tribal thing, you know, this Ukrainian pride. And that actually, in a weird way, you know, Ukraine kind of did have like was kind of split, you know, like some Ukraine identified with Russia and, and some identified as Ukrainians. And in like an interesting way, this whole invasion has galvanized all of those Ukrainians to sort of come together and be like, no, we're, we're Ukrainians and we're going to fight for our independence. But like we were saying, it it just kind of seems like a, a title change with no real um, benefit change. Like it, it reminded me of, you know, in the office when Dwight is the assistant to the regional manager, he gets like the, the title change, but it doesn't come with any extra pay or perks or benefits or anything like that. Um, I, you know, there's, there is something to be said for this idea that maybe you should just not resist this and, and let, let Russia have Ukraine. I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't understand. I've never really understood this whole nationalistic tribal pride thing that a lot of people have. Um, I, I don't know why, why they, why they are dying for this like piece of land doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So something that I haven't <clears throat> paid close enough attention to mostly because of everything that's been going on for the past few days with the move and everything. But 
has have Russian ground troops and ground forces moved beyond the uh, the Donbass region, or is it still just airstrikes and stuff like that that's going on in the rest of the country? I no, they they had like the last report I saw, they were there's like a huge like forty mile long military convoy that's like 15 miles outside of Kiev. Is that right? Hang on. Um, let's see if I can find that article. I was just looking at it, but yeah, they are like, they're trying to move in and, and sort of surround Kiev. They're um, 15 miles out. I think I heard was like the front of that convoy. So I, I think my, my gut is kind of telling me that like, once they capture Kiev, like I think Kiev will fall if there's no other like foreign interference, which would you know would again if the the U.S. does its thing where it supplies them with like weapons and arms and armory and all this stuff, and then Ukraine ends up surrendering, all of that stuff just goes into Russia hands. Um, I, I think it would stop with the, the the capture of that capital, and then hopefully these negotiation talks would, would take place. And I mean, you know, swearing to, you know, promising to never have Ukraine as part of NATO, I think would be a good start for the, for the U S just be like, okay, like we get it. You don't want to be surrounded by NATO forces on like all sides. We'll back off and we can start the concessions there. But and, yeah. Uh... Go ahead. Well, there were some peace talks that had gone on over the weekend, but I'm not sure that, like, to this point, I haven't heard of anything that's actually come out of that yet. Like, that was supposed to happen sometimes Sunday, um, and and like I said, I, I'm not aware of anything that's actually been accomplished from that no. No. as of yet. I, and I there heard were they were going to resume that, again today, actually. And there were reports that uh, that Putin was amenable to peace talks and negotiations and stuff like that and was even willing to work with and and get along with Zelensky and some of the Ukrainian government that's in place currently he just didn't want to deal with the neo-nazis that the Obama regime and NATO put in place back in 2014 yeah yeah and you know China has sort of uh align themselves more and more with, with Russia. And I think from, you know, from uh, Putin's perspective, if like these sanctions probably are going to start squeezing them pretty big, you know, they're like, uh, I think the EU said like, they're not going to allow Russian flights through their airspace. They're trying to get us to put a no fly zone over Ukraine, which I think that would just be ridiculous because I don't know how you enforce that without shooting down (laughs) Russian planes and getting us into a literal world war three. But, you know, one thing that Russia and China could do is sort of get together and go after the the dollar as the world reserve currency. That, that seems like kind of like the low hanging fruit from their perspective. You know, it's, it, it doesn't require any military intervention, but like think of everything that the U S gets from China, just like just about everything in everybody's room right now. If China wants to do, you know, sanction the U.S. and in the terms that, you know, we use with just stop giving us stuff, stop loaning us money, stop producing everything that we uh, purchase in our everyday lives. Combine that with this inflation problem that we're already having. 
and the, the cost of living would skyrocket for the average American. Russia's got the whole gas thing that they're supplying gas to, you know, major, Germany gets 50% of their gas from them. A lot of major countries are kind of dependent on them for energy. They could sort of start this process of getting the dollar out of the reserve currency status. And that's the only thing keeping the dollar afloat right now and protecting this way of life that Americans have grown accustomed to, which is living way above our means. Our standard of living is out of control compared to how broke we would be if the entire world didn't have to buy our dollars first in order to buy anything else that they needed. And so that's a good kind of transition into the next topic for for the show today is Biden's State of the Union address last night. And I thought it was really interesting early on how much he talked about the pandemic recovery and how much the economy has grown and all of these uh, stimulus that they handed out. And then almost as if the two weren't connected in any way. Then turned around and started to talk about how much people are feeling inflation hitting them in the pocketbooks, how hard it's been for everybody, how they're going to release all of this, all of these oil reserves to bring gas costs down. As if the fact that shutting down pipelines wasn't the reason that the gas prices have been like skyrocketing to begin with. But, like it's all of these things that he talks about and, and just getting standing ovations left and right talking about all of this economic recovery and everything they're doing to help the working man and to help the middle class and to, to build the middle class and all of this stuff. And then to immediately switch over to talking about inflation and pretend that that wasn't a hundred percent because of all of this stuff that he just touted as huge victories. Like it's just, it's fucking insane. I, I don't, the, the disconnect between the two, I don't, I don't understand how, how the average American doesn't connect the two. Right. Well, luckily for him, the average American is about as economically illiterate as he is. And most of them didn't watch this. I, you know, everybody was bored to death. He actually, you know, he put the dog here to sleep in like four seconds as soon as it came on. And I, I wish I could just put headphones on him for when we record and uh, just have a Joe Biden speech. Keep that, keep that pooch down given the, the mayhem that he was causing on the last podcast. But yeah, listening to Joe Biden try to explain economics is it is as like his economic ideas are as ridiculous and should be made fun of as much as like when Trump was out there saying that we should like inject ourselves with bleach to, to fight the coronavirus. They're like, he, he's that far off on everything. Like he just, he kept talking about cutting costs. He's like, we're going to cut costs. We're going to cut costs. And everything that he said in order to cut costs was just like, we're going to cut costs by spending a bajillion dollars on infrastructure, on educated, on paid family leave, on all. He just goes on and on and on about how they're going to spend all this money and somehow and create all these new bureaucracies and agencies to oversee it. And somehow that's going to cut the cost of everything. And we're going to build. Well, he talked about how he talked about how Intel, like he had the CEO or whatever of Intel, that they're going to start making all these microprocessors and microchips and everything. They just need a, and they're going to commit twenty billion dollars to expanding all of this so that they can make all of this stuff. They just need us to pass this spending bill so that they can do it. It's like, um, 
like y'all do understand that when they say they're going to commit $20 billion to this, but you have to pass the spending bill first, that's because all of that money is coming from the fucking spending bill. Like they're not committing $20 billion of their money. They're committing $20 billion of our money that the government is going to give them so that they can do that because of this fucking spending bill. Like that's the way this works. (laughs) Yeah. And then you'll see the results of that, like the Solyndra thing, they'll lose $500 million. Nobody bats an eye. It, it really is just it, it's something to to see just the the pure economic illiteracy on full display talking about on one hand he was like remembering back when inflation was really bad when he was younger and his dad like you know having to like wait in line for gas or something i was like wait a minute that wasn't that like the 70s like you were like 40 years old <laughs> But it was, you know, I was joking around on Twitter, like, is he remembering like gas shortages and gas lines and runaway inflation? Or is he predicting the future of what all his economic policies are going to bring about? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it was I, I enjoyed watching. I was having a blast watching this because it was just like every sentence was a, a complete disaster that you could make fun of on Twitter. And <clears throat> the whole the whole spectacle of it in general, I just kind of find fascinating. Um, they, they dropped the masks for this one because apparently the science has changed on that now, but they were still social distancing. Like they were still sitting like four feet apart from everybody and they were at like 50% capacity. And then, yes, everybody was wearing their Ukraine colors in solidarity, which I can't. That whole part of his speech, like the entire first like 10 minutes where he talked about Ukraine, it just sounded like full on war propaganda, like beat the drum. It's time to go fuck up Russia. Like, yeah, it was weird. Dial it back a little bit. Yeah, he said he wasn't going to commit troops to this, but then he's like, but make, you know, let me be clear. We're going to do everything we can to like make sure Nate, like no inch of NATO ground is ever given up and blah, 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 blah. So it's like, all right. And everybody get that got a standing ovation. So it was like, we're, we're prepared. Ovation. We're prepared to go to World War Three so that we keep NATO like right on the, the Russia border <laughs> and, and all these, you know, it was, uh, I don't even know what to say, how ridiculous everything that he said. I'm going to have to like, one of the reasons why I was tweeting so much was because I wanted to give myself notes for this podcast, (laughs) just so I could remember all of the ridiculous things that he was saying. But it it really is um, pretty interesting to see because like that whole, the whole build back better thing was, uh, you know, basically destroyed. So he had to come up with a new term for it. It was like build America better or something. <laughs> Comes up with a different, a different terminology to mean the same thing, which is, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna spend a bajillion dollars. That's gonna keep down inflation. And and somehow, you know, we just need to put these bills on his desk for him to sign, and everything's fine. <laughs> and by now, everybody should realize that. If all you had to do was like write something down on a piece of paper and give it to some politician in a fancy suit to sign it, all of our problems would be solved. Like we're going to we're going to start building in America again. That's going to cut costs. 
it's everything's going to be cheaper and more efficient. If it was cheaper and more efficient to build in America, we'd still be building things in America. They wouldn't have shipped it overseas. Like we used to build things here. We used to be the biggest exporter of, of all kinds of stuff. And then it got too expensive to do that. In order to actually cut costs, they shipped all of that stuff overseas. And that's one of the reasons why we were talking about how China supplies us with everything. If it was cheaper and more efficient to build stuff here, we'd already be doing it. And just like there's this thing that Biden does where he just like yells at us. He's like, we need to do this now. We need to end, you know, we need to end cancer once and for all now. Just put the bill on my desk. I'll sign it. I'm ready. We can do it. It's long overdue. Just get it done now. <laughs> it's like, so you're just going to, I guess I could just be president. We just go like, we should do this now and, and fill in the blank. We, let, let's get policy X done now. Just put it on my desk. I'll sign it. And all of our problems will be solved. Except that every politician has been saying that my entire life. They're still talking about the exact same problems that they're always talking about. Uh, and everything that they're involved in are the things that people are constantly complaining about, the, the cost of education. And he, Go ahead. And he was like, talking about the things that people are complaining about. He talked about Obamacare and how that was going to save everybody $2,400 a year on their premiums and stuff. When's that going to happen? When, like, when's this, when is this going to materialize? Like, uh, We've been waiting for 10 years now, 12, uh, eight years. Like, when, when's that happening? When's it coming? Uh, like a lot, of, he he called back to a lot of Obama era type stuff that that he touted as these success stories of the government stepping in to help people and making things better. When, when are those going to keep actually helping and making things better? Because it hasn't happened yet. In fact, if anything, especially when you look at Obamacare, it's done the complete opposite. It's wrecked the it's wrecked the healthcare system. You talked about trying to reel in uh, ins the cost of insulin. Okay, so what you're going to tell me is after letting the pharmaceutical company just run roughshod over us for the last year, now you're gonna you're gonna start putting the clamps on them and make them dial stuff back. Really? Yeah. Um, I, I did. I did get a huge kick out of that because, you know, they always have these like token people that they point to in the stands that he's actually like he's met. And they had this like seventh grade kid who had like type one diabetes or something. And it was like, you know, so I forget his name. Is it? It might have been Justin. I don't know. It was somebody, you know, some kid's name is like seventh grader slash diabetes advocate, <laughs> he, like stands up and gets a huge like you know, standing ovation for that. And he also talked about, you know, we're going to get affordable high, high speed internet all over the country. And one, that was like one of the jokes I was like, God, I hope this high speed internet is half as affordable as the affordable housing that we were supposed to get as education is supposed to in healthcare. Cause if I like, I actually want it to be half as affordable because when they say affordable, it literally means that you have to go into tens, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars into debt to get it. And they, they've just, they failed on every, every, they're, they're still talking. And I can't believe they actually bring this up because it, I mean, it, it, it still gets like a round of applause from the, the left. When you talk about providing clean drinking water to your citizens, like, okay, so 
they have literally stolen $30 trillion, 30 trillion with a T. That's the bonded debt right now. They've promised hundreds of trillions more. They've got tens of thousands of pages of legislation that you put it on the desk, we'll sign it, the problem will be solved. They've been droning on and on, they bureaucracy after bureaucracy, committee after super committee, all this shit. And we don't have clean drinking water yet. If that's not like the most basic fucking function, uh, something that you should be providing, you can't do that after 30 trillion stacks and stacks of legislation, a billion committees and bureaucracies. Maybe, just maybe it's time to try a different system here. Call me crazy. Call me crazy. But this doesn't seem to be working out if they still don't have clean drinking water in Flint, Michigan. Do they have clean drinking water in Flint, Michigan? Like, he's, I, I mean, I'm tempted replacing to replacing lead pipes do. and all of this stuff. And to my knowledge, nothing is nothing has changed in Flint. Like, we're going on three presidents, and it's still the same right. old. Yeah, they well, I mean, and, and I don't know how many other places in the U.S. are like that. For the most part, I think a lot of people have clean drinking water. I just think it's a really weird talking like thing to point out. It's like such a failure but they're patting themselves on the back for saying that they're going to fix it. It's like, you shouldn't even have to fucking fix that. Like that should have been taken care of like 200 years ago. <laughs> like we have clean drinking water here in, in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. I can drink out of the faucet. That's Mexico. I mean, it's one of the few places in Mexico that you can do that. But I mean, they, I would, if I were, if I was a politician, I would not be bringing up the fact that we're, we're struggling to give you clean drinking water. You would you would think that they would stay away from that topic, but yeah, it, it's fun. It's bizarre that they think that that's like a a win for them. You know, we're gonna get clean drinking water everywhere. Uh, okay, <laughs> it's gonna be affordable drinking water too. I'm sure. Bonnie also talked about, of course, they always because they always talk about this, or at least here of like he talked about all the economic recovery and the most jobs created and. Yada, yada, yada. But then in the very next breath talks about how nobody could find people to work and that our supply is behind and that acted like that because supply is behind. That's why inflation is running rampant. Uh, yeah. Well, and, and then the other thing is the, the whole Ukraine situation is adding to the inflation pressures. So somehow uh, about. I don't know, six months or so before Ukraine happened, the inflation from Ukraine uh, hit our shores pretty hard, like anticipatory inflation, because we just knew that there was this invasion coming. It's to, to hear them talk about this is it will. And you have the Federal Reserve now backing off on their interest rate cuts. This is like just the excuse that they needed because we we all know that they can't raise rates beyond a, a few percentage points before this whole thing just comes tumbling down. And so now they don't have to because emergency, World War III, blah, 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 blah. And we can just kind of keep this party going a little bit. Hey guys, today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Lorenzotti Coffee. You know them well by now. They're our oldest and longest running sponsor. We love these guys. We love their premium Italian coffee that they deliver right to your door. So do yourself a favor. Get your mornings started right with the taste of freedom. Go to lorenzotti.coffee and use promo code FICTION so they know I sent you and you'll get 10% off your order. That's Lorenzotti, 
L-O-R, E as in Edward, N as in Nancy, Z as in Zebra, O-T-T-I dot coffee, promo code FICTION. Get all of your coffee and coffee supplies from these guys. And not only are they fans of the show, but they've gone above and beyond the call of duty as a sponsor. So go order some coffee, order an espresso machine, get a coffee grinder, do it all at lorenzotti.coffee, promo code fiction. All right. <sighs> Let's see what else I got here. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's like he did talk. It was interesting to hear him talk about the, the pandemic stuff too, like how they're opening up schools again. And you know, he was saying that the reason they were able to open up schools was because people were vaccinated and masks and lockdowns. <laughs> it's just like literally none of those things had anything to do with opening, reopening the schools. None of them. They, they were all just there. And then some schools ignored them and opened up anyway. And none of these kids are being vaccinated, at least for the most part. Yeah, not uh, I haven't seen the numbers on it, but I don't think it's a super high percentage that are vaccinated. Yeah, yeah, and then you know the the idea that he's been this um, not this divisive force in America, like the the state of our union is strong. He actually said, and I can't remember if Trump said that in his last state of the union address, he might've, they usually do at least once, but I was, I was waiting for it. And it came like right at the end that the state of our union is strong because you, the American people are strong or like something like that. There has never been, I mean, like we're, we're so divided right now, maybe in the sixties with like the Vietnam war, and then maybe in like the civil war, like, I don't know how divided a, a country has to be before, during the state of the union address, the, the president will admit that the state of our union is not that strong. It's in fact, very, very weak. I mean, have you ever seen a portion of the American population as demonized as the unvaccinated have been? I mean, I look like that's something that's crazy. Yeah, like they, they just spent the last two years basically accusing you of, of wanting to kill grandma, wanting to refuse basic human rights, according to them, like healthcare services. You should just have to die. You shouldn't be able to take a hospital bed if you don't get this vaccine. You should have to stay home. We should, you know, put them into camps. All it, and this is the, the state of our union being strong. When you have like two very distinct groups in America that, not only were already like diametrically opposed philosophically, where like, you know, on a, a number of issues, the vaccination thing, the COVID stuff, but like abortion and things like that. Like they just, there's no way to reconcile those two. And now you throw in like the, like this evil treatment towards people. <laughs> like this is not a strong union. This is, there, there's people on both sides that want a national divorce. It's the first time it's become like a mainstream opinion is to have like many, many states secede from the union. This thing is barely being held together and the state of our union is strong. Uh, at least as far as they're concerned, it's super strong. Yeah. Well, this, you know, they might, they might try to use this whole Russia, Ukraine thing to unite us again. It's always one of the 
one of their best tactics is to to propagandize people into to getting behind another war and coming together to save the whatever it is. In this case, it's the Ukrainian people. Again, I think it's it is pretty fascinating to see how much attention that gets versus all the other wars that are going on right now. And it's really because this is one of the few wars that's going on that the U.S. isn't actually instigating. Like we're finally not uh, invading or fight, you know, funding, fighting a proxy war somewhere. And now we think we have the moral authority to to stand up against this. But um, something interesting that you and and it was just like offhand that you mentioned it, but you did mention Trump. There were there were a few portions of Biden's speech that came across very Trumpian. Uh, he, if I'm, if I'm remembering it correctly, towards uh, somewhere in the last like 20 to 30 minutes, he talked about the need to secure our Southern border. Um, a lot of his build back better had a pretty significant MAGA feel to it. Um, I mean, just, you know, when, when you look at the wording and the way he talked about it, um, gosh, what else? There were there were a couple of things. There were there were several things. And uh, Dan Smots, who does uh, the system is down, and he 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 did work for the Jorgensen campaign and and everything. Um, he would probably be mad at me that I linked the two together. But <laughs> um, like Dan put together this meme this morning. Though it was it was uh, Biden with a MAGA hat on and like get, while while receiving a standing ovation. And really, like it's. It's funny, but it's also pretty pretty on the nose because a lot of what Obama or Obama, a lot of what Biden was saying really felt kind of Trumpian. And so, yeah, I mean, he's going to get a uh, resounding standing ovation from both sides of the aisle because he's saying a lot of the stuff that uh, the right is kind of on board with. Yeah, well, nationalism always plays plays well to the crowd. And yeah, it's. Again, all of these, all of these issues, though, I mean, you have to just say secure the border, like basically in every state of the union. And it's, it's so funny to see the the left react, like the, the right reaction is always like, oh, yeah, secure border. But on the left, it's like, if Trump says it, he's a Nazi. If Biden says it, we cheer. And just that this tribalism is so toxic. And it's, uh, it, it's just so funny to see like some people watch this and it's like, oh, it's like a, you know, it's like a sporting matter. It's like a wrestling match or something like that. And it's like, yeah, it's not that different. You got, you have two, um, you know, two teams, you got a red team and a blue team. And if, if you say something and you're on team blue, team blue is going to like it. And if you see, say something and you're on team red, team blue is probably not going to like it. It's uh <laughs> we like to think of ourselves as these very complicated creatures, but we're not like if, if you were to watch, like observe human behavior from like a, a different perspective, if you were like an alien, it would be so easy to solve so many of these problems. It would be like if, if people are observing, you know, penguins or something and you, and you don't really think of them as, as humans, you think of them as penguins. So it's like the male penguin does this, the female penguin does that. And like, this is why, you know, like 
they're secure. They're, uh, you know, marking their territory or something like, you know, it's like something very primal and basic and obvious when you're looking at a different species, but when it's your species doing it, it, it it's all like obscured and obfuscated. And it's hard to pick up on. Yeah. There's a lot of tribalism and just blatantly partisan politics that that comes into play with that, that I don't know why the average person doesn't see it, uh, on its face whenever they're looking at it but for some reason it just completely like it, people just don't don't pick up on it yeah i, I mean i think it's because we're too close to it we're, it's we're, we're so used to it we're too close to it. i mean like that seventh grade kid that was in the crowd there you know he's clapping for everything he doesn't know what the kid's like a, what do you how old are you in the seventh grade 11 12 you 12 okay he's a he's a, a diabetes advocate <laughs> It's like, I don't even think I knew what an advocate was when I was 12, but he's up there. He's clapping for everything because everybody else is clapping and he's already being conditioned into this like system where like, this is what we do. Like the president gets in there and he's got these two like aliens, lizard people sitting behind him and they clap when he pauses, they clap. We're literally like seals. Like he says a line, he pauses and people feel like they have to clap. And so they do, even if they don't really agree with it or they look around, they see other people clapping and they clap. And there's this whole theater behind the whole thing that is really fascinating for me to watch. Like the the way that they sell this whole system of, of government to us by having all this pomp and circumstance, this big room, right? You got levels and levels of seats and they're elevated that he's up there in his special seat. And, you know, he has, they have like the big introduction from the speaker of the house and they take like autographs afterwards. And it's all just so that they can sell you on this system that has, has failed in every sense of the, every sense of the word, you know, they can't provide uh, suitable drinking water for their people. And it's 2022, but they think that they're going to, you know, provide affordable high-speed internet, but they haven't been able to provide affordable or decent education for, I mean, look at the education numbers, look at the, the housing numbers, look at anything that they've claimed to attack as like a war, a war on this, a war on that, any, anything they set out to do, they, they just, it's the utmost failure you could possibly imagine. And that's why they're there every February, or I guess in March this year, but you know, they're there every year, the state of the union address addressing the exact same problems over and over and over again, nothing changes. There's, there's nothing new in this build, not build back better, but build a better America or whatever the hell it's called. There's nothing MAGA. new in there. MAGA. Just call it MAGA. What are they going to do? Yeah. What, <laughs> What's in that bill that hasn't been in the last 35 spending bills? Please tell me. I mean, how many times they talked about building the roads and the infrastructure and creating jobs, bringing jobs back to America, cutting costs. That's my favorite one. I love when the government cut costs. Can you think of the last time they actually cut something or the last time spending went down, the deficit went down, the national debt stopped ticking up? They've never cut costs. They've been talking about cutting costs my entire life. Every year, they get up there talking about cutting costs, waste, fraud, and abuse, blah, 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 blah. It's always going up. Everything's always going up. Why, why do people listen to this? And it's because of all like this pomp and circumstance and this like ritualistic tribalism behavior that we've all been conditioned to buy into. It's the, the only explanation I can come up with. Because if we were watching monkeys do this, we'd be pointing out 
how ridiculous these monkeys look clapping for the the same ideas over and over and over again and expecting a different result exactly and like you said i mean it's the it's the whole the pomp and the circumstance and all the the grandiose display that they make of the whole thing is like it's the thing that should tell everybody that this is a complete farce but it's the thing that they use to legitimize what they're doing yeah (laughs) because it is a big show then obviously you should take it serious but the fact that they make such a big show of it, but every time Biden says anything, even remotely not him uh, falling all over his own tongue, everybody stands up and claps for it. Yeah, I, I couldn't think of a single thing that he said that I was like, "Ooh, yeah, that's pretty good." I think I, that would deserve a round of applause. Well, he, I, I love the way he signed off. He's just like, "Go get him." <laughs> which was the greatest Biden thing of all time. Like he, like he was a football coach or something. It was a halftime speech. I, I don't know. Like he's just getting confused and he's trying to like revitalize the troops and get everybody energized and excited. Go get him. Go get who, what are we doing here? <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's very, it's very interesting because if it doesn't have all the pomp and circumstance, nobody takes it seriously. Like that's why church you go there and everything's like big stained glass windows and gold and nice organs and a big door and the the fancy churches. And it's like, they're not saying anything that the crazy guy on the street with like the megaphone and the Bible in his hand is saying, but he's just like standing on the fucking corner Nobody takes them seriously. But if you put those, you put that same guy in like a nice robe and behind this like decked out marble stand with a big gold Bible and people standing around him holding candles and doing all this shit. Well, then it's like, oh, I should take this seriously. This, this seems right to me. And all of this, the government operates the exact same way with robes and rituals and, you know, sacraments and you know sacrilegious behavior like think heretics things you can't say things you can't touch it's very interesting they don't get me started on the hypocrisy that is the church uh, i could go i could go all day on that i wouldn't want to yeah i'd be bored <laughs> to death. but i i do like drawing the parallels between that and and uh government because i mean that's how you get it's how you control people it really you know cults religions government they all use the same tactics because like i said we're not very complicated creatures it's really easy how to to figure out how to manipulate uh, uh, people for whatever purpose you want and one of them is you know these big grandiose that's great uh word by the way great word to use pomp and circumstance and fancy stuff to make people feel like you are a lot more uh, qualified and important smarter than they are and that's another reason why i think it's hilarious to watch joe biden try to get through a speech he was like he did start to fade a little bit as the speech went on too and he only he went for an hour uh i think you know usually they go for a little more than that not much more maybe an hour 10 hour 15 something like that but uh it's it's pretty funny to watch really unimpressive people try to get through and and convince you that they should be in charge of all of this stuff. And there were a couple moments throughout it where he looked, he either looked confused or he would start to really stumble over his words and like lose his place. And then he would say something kind of silly. And then 
then he would get like get back on track. It's, yeah, he's he's, he's, getting, he's amusing to just to watch him perform. Yeah, and there weren't I mean there weren't that many gaffes. I would expect a lot more going into his present. I was like, this is going to be hilarious. He's not going to be able to get give an hour speech, but you know he he did okay. Um, he he kept you know he caught himself a few times, and it wasn't like a huge issue. I, you know, if I gave a speech for an hour, I would probably stumble over a few words too. But, you know, some of the things that just don't make any sense where he just kind of reverts back to this like rah, rah, you know, football coach kind of like, go get him. <laughs> just go get him. It's the last thing he said. Nobody has any idea what he's talking about. He doesn't know either, but it's like, that's what you say to rile up the people. And, you know, when you're out of things to say, that's what you fall back on, I guess. It was. So I didn't watch it last night. I watched it this morning uh, while I was trying to navigate the nightmare that has been my day with dealing with this computer and everything. Uh, so it was kind of refreshing, I guess, to watch that and to see him like not just completely fall all over himself. Like at least the, at least he had some modicum of success there. And also, you know, to get to see a lot of that hypocrisy on display as much as it does no good to point out the hypocrisy of the government because the average person just doesn't care. Um, it it was interesting to hear him say those things, you know, especially the things we talked about earlier, the, the very drastic differences in very close succession and act like one of these is a success, but it's not because of the other one. Like I, I was hopefully as he makes speeches like this, because they're going to have to start putting him up on, they're going to start have to start putting him in front of people and like actually letting him talk. Like they can't continue to just roll him away for another two years. Like they did for all of 2021. Uh, he's going to have to start doing press conferences and he's going to have to start making speeches. And the more that they have him up there, the more a lot of that stuff comes to the, comes to the forefront and maybe the average person will start to think about it just a little. Yeah. Well, maybe they, they do this thing where they call it, you know, they'll claim that he's had several press conferences, but he doesn't take any questions or anything. He just reads a prepared speech and then walks out of the room. Like he doesn't take any, he could have done that from his bedroom in the white house. <laughs> he could have just read this sheet of paper and close the door. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how he handles. Well, this is like a pretty big moment to have for the State of the Union address. I mean, when you got the whole uh, Russia-Ukraine stuff going on, you have inflation like running out, like things here are terrible. Think we're on the brink of a possible World War III over there. And now here's Joe Biden, like the biggest moment of his presidency. And that's the speech he gave. I mean, it sounded a lot like all the other um, State of the Union addresses I hear. They're all just like these ridiculous speeches where everything is, yeah, everything is, uh, you know, hypocrisy or ridiculous or a contradiction or like an economic fallacy or something like that. We're going to spend this, we're going to spend that. So in that sense, he sounded a lot like all the other presidents that have come before him. Did you, uh, did you listen to the Republican response? Do you ever? No. The, no. The, the, I don't understand why they have these like really awkward you know, the other party responds to the the State of the Union address. And I mean, they it does seem like the Republicans are far more in touch with the the average American. Like they basically talked about, you know, um, the, all the covid craziness, opening states, getting rid of the lockdowns, opening schools back up, letting parents decide what you know, what's best for their kids. And 
I mean, yeah, that's great. You're two years too late with most of that shit. <laughs> but, you know, they, and then they talked about like inflation and how that's a real thing and it's really hurting families. But the idea that like all of this, you know, high, soaring inflation we're having right now, it hasn't quite run away yet, but all the inflation, like the bubble economy, the COVID craziness, it all started under Republican rule. Like the idea that this is just Joe Biden's fault or the Democrats' fault is absolutely ridiculous. Like the bubble economy was first really blown up. I mean, we had the tech bubble, right? That exploded in 2000. All right. But after that, it was like George W. Bush and, uh, you know, blown up the housing bubble and then that collapsing. And then, you know, having the Federal Reserve come in with quantitative easing and, and all that shit. Uh, the COVID stuff started under Donald Trump. Like he was, you know, he wasn't like a huge proponent of locking everything down indefinitely, but he was, you know, he didn't stop it from happening. And, uh, you know, the inflation thing, he spent like $7 trillion in his last year. Uh, you know, George W. Bush doubled the national debt. Like they all, you know, had the Federal Reserve suppressing interest rates, keeping them at zero for, you know, since 2001, essentially. And, uh, it the this idea that it's all falls at the at the foot uh, of Democrats is just dry, it it drives me crazy. But I am you know they are the best at um, sort of escalating all of the issues that that Repub Republicans are responsible for. Like okay, George Bush took it from like five to nine, and then Obama took it from nine to eighteen, and then Trump from like you know eighteen to twenty five, and then twenty five to thirty. Um, they're very good at escalating all of the, all of the problems and exacerbating them. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. They, all of these responses are just kind of ridiculous, but they are more in touch with, I think, where the American people are and just that chasm. There's always like this huge chasm between what the state of the union address talking points were and what the response was. And that in and of itself kind of shows you how weak the state of the union actually is. You know, what I mean, it's like if, uh, you know, he's out there talking about, oh, this is all great. You know, we're going to build back better, spend all this money. And then these, you know, the Republicans out there and saying like, yeah, like this inflation, like it's 15 percent. You guys are getting killed at home. That kind of shows you that kind of shows you that there's a there's a much bigger um, there's a much bigger problem going on at home than just rah rah state of the union strong and if the situation was reversed and you know like you have the republican giving that speech and then you have like a democrat talking about like trans rights and all that other stuff it's just like dude, these people are so far apart on everything what are we doing here well a little bit of a white pill going forward for 2022 is a lot of polls that are being conducted so something that i've talked about on the morning show that i do is how there's a lot of the polls consider there to be like 30%-ish who are going to vote Republican no matter what. And then there are 30%-ish who are going to vote Democrat no matter what. And then you've got this big 40% in the middle that kind of swing elections one way or the other. And right now, anywhere from 60 to 70% of that big middle 40% group are aligning with the Republicans, or at the very least, think that the Democrats are doing a bad job and don't trust that the Democrats can. So there's that, that big middle voting block that tends to 
swing elections one way or the other is swinging pretty hard to the right right now. And and an interesting thing about a lot of those polls is because it does typically go in a like a four year cycle where that group will kind of swing back and forth. And something that you're seeing right now is a lot of that group is swinging more to the right and like with with more intent of like staying in that direction, like not a whole lot of because the left has moved so far left that uh, it has pushed a lot of those people to the right, even though it, they yeah, might not want to. Be. It, people are getting really worn out with all the COVID stuff. They're starting to come around to our side on things. The, the wokeism, I think, has overplayed its hand and people are getting sick of that. They, yeah, it, it's time for that sort of pendulum to swing back the other way. It's been very interesting to to be where we're at and watch this whole thing sort of take place. Because um, I couldn't imagine being in that middle group where you're just like, I'm not sure like which way to go. It's like, no, no, no. I have like guiding principles. They tell me the answer to everything. It's really simple. And and to watch people not have that and sort of go which way the wind blows until they reach some sort of mental exhaustion. <laughs> it's It's fascinating to watch. And yeah, they've... People are people are very sick of of wearing the masks and staying at home, not traveling, following these ridiculous policy prescriptions that don't make any sense. And uh, yeah, the the wokeism, just like having no good comedy come out ever anymore. And if it does, it becomes this huge like controversial thing. All the movies suck. There's no entertainment anymore. I, I think people are sick of it. I really do. Yeah, I've been. I've been incredibly lucky for the last five years going on six and that my wife, like I've talked about it on my show and it may be even on here before she was, she was a Bernie bro uh, when we first got together and for, for basic defining purposes, she was more on board with some of the more progressive borderline wokish type stuff and watching her get red pilled and really come over to our side of things over the last six years. And this isn't even with me pushing it. Like this is just from naturally watching things from a not being around other people who are to the extreme left of things, just watching things with me and not even me giving commentary like I do on shows and stuff, but just me like sitting there and watching it without pushing an, an agenda. She has really woken up to see a lot of that stuff. And so I've gotten to watch it like in real time as somebody wakes up and starts to see yeah. the bullshit. So it's, if, if it's happening with her, I know it's happening with a lot of other people like all across the country. So that is kind of a uh, kind of a white pilling thing that, you know, take it for take it for what it's worth. Maybe I've had more influence than I think I have, but I've tried to. I've tried to keep politics out of our relationship and let her have her opinions. Like if obviously if I was going to make politics a deciding factor, I never would have married her to begin with. It do it. It wasn't something that was important to me. Like you have your beliefs and that's cool. I can, I can work with that. Um, and to watch her like come around in real time has been really, really fun. And uh, I'm sure there are other people who have similar stories. Hopefully. hopefully. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I was just kind of talking about uh, Johnny the Jew earlier in the show. He's he's not quite there yet, but I mean, he's always sort of been more of just like a pragmatic person, you know, 
like whatever kind of makes the most sense. like, and he can kind of figure out when stuff doesn't make sense and he'll think about it. But yeah, it's sort of like a, you're a psychiatrist and you're watching your patient have like this breakthrough and you can't, you know, they're always like, well, what does that mean to you? And how does that make you feel? And it's like, you can't give them the answer, even though you know what it is, you have to let them discover it for themselves. And the best thing about um, all of this pomp and circumstance and this ridiculousness that, that goes on is like, they will, you know, hang themselves with all that rope. And we kind of just have to sit back and let it happen and then provide, you know, the clarity when people are sort of ready to ready to receive it. Take that for for whatever you want to take it for. But hopefully other people are having some uh, some enjoyable moments. <laughs> he did. Headband on. He's been craw- like progressively crawling all over me. <laughs> but yeah, we're behaving uh, themselves. They're in the other room. Yeah. Um, he's been quiet, though, which is good. He, he went on two walks today, so. Oh, busy day? Yeah. Um, I, well, I haven't taken him out yet, so I've been busy. But, yeah, he got to go out twice today, so I think he's a lot less complainy than he was. Was, it, was that Saturday? I forget what day it was. <laughs> or no, it was, th- it was Friday. Friday, Friday, uh, yeah. He was, yeah. He was kind of whining Friday morning. He was. He's been much better today. He is a good boy. But, uh, yeah, we should probably wrap on that. I think we're coming up on time here. Anything else you got to? get off your chest anything you want to plug oh just my normal stuff i've got my show uh, i didn't because of all the impressive computer problems i've been having over the last 24 to 48 hours i didn't put out a wednesday episode of my show but normally you can check, find the uh, fact check this podcast on youtube rumble BitChute, odyssey and all the podcatchers every monday and wednesday and then i've got the morning show that I've been doing is a lot of fun. It's called The Morning After, and hit me up for the link because until we get to 100 subscribers and I can actually do a customizable URL for the show, it is damn near impossible to just find it on a general search on YouTube. But The Morning After is the name of the show. It's me and a few other guys that I know from random things on Twitter. And uh, we do a Monday, Wednesday, Friday morning show at 7.30 Central, 8.30 Eastern, and we talk about random topics um we're all wildly racist and misogynistic so we tie that into every episode in some way it's a lot of fun we have a we have a decent little supporter group that that tunes in and comments and chats with us throughout every episode so if you don't have anything to do on a monday wednesday or friday morning check us out we have a lot of fun with that and we do even cover some news from time to time well i mean that that fits in perfectly with the this schedule of this show so when you're not listening to that, this, you listen to that. And uh, I'm officially out of whiskey, so it's time to end the show. But, oh, speaking of that, you know, uh, one thing I haven't talked much about is the the merchandise store that we have going on. Because I need, I was going to talk about this earlier, but when next time I go back, I'm going to come back with some, you know, official peddling fiction mugs and stuff like that. But yeah, at Public, if you search for, for the show on there, you should find our store. You can uh, get a lot of custom, um, you know, paraphernalia, mugs, shirts, posters, tote bags, whatever the fuck you want. It's on there. And uh, yeah, give me that link. I'll drop it in the description for the audio, too. And yeah, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Pedal Fiction. And like I said, at the top of the show, we're having happy hour on Friday at 630 you just got to become a supporting listener of the show, peddlingfictionpodcast.com. Recurring monthly donation, any denomination you want gets you in. And then you can take place in the festivities. 
that were really something last week uh, or two weeks ago. Really something. Justin missed out because he has to go to bed. He's got like <laughs> got the, the craziest schedule I can imagine. He's up at up at two, napping at six a.m. Craziness. But yeah, do that. It's a lot of fun. And we will be back, uh, I don't know, maybe later this week with a brand new episode. Until then, you guys know the drill. Yeah, it's all dependent on Justin's moving schedule at this point. So until then, you know what to do. Just keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Peace.